You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. It is a privilege to be among such great people in Toronto and a great city. Um, I've never been this cold before. Um, actually, that's not true. I've been this cold in Vancouver before because when I flew into Vancouver, they told me there's nice weather. It's like Cape Town. And I get there and there's a massive winter storm. And Pastor Greg Mitchell, if any of you guys know Pastor Greg Mitchell and Debbie from Vancouver, he says, hey, let's go ride down the mountain because I'm an avid mountain biker. I'm avid, not good. It's different, right? So, uh, And in my mind, I, I get a, a, a lift that takes me up to the top of the mountain and I just have fun down. Pastor Greg is a true avid mountain biker. And they ride 45 minutes up the mountain in snow that's this thick. And I thought, gosh, this doesn't sound like a great idea because we're about to go really fast down this mountain on snow and ice. I mean, it's hard enough to do that on regular soil, you know. So anyway, I was freezing in Vancouver and now I'm freezing. But the people in both Vancouver and Toronto are warm people. Uh, Canadians are lovely. Uh, I am so impressed by Canada and who Canadians are. Um, I feel I was telling Pastor Bert last night. We were walking. I said, Canadians, it's, it's, it's close to South Africans. Like, you know, uh, like the culture in Canada is very close, and I, I feel quite at home. And so I just want to say thank you for allowing me some time with you amazing people. And I really appreciate all that you guys do for the glory of God and, and, and this nation and its inheritance and the purpose of this nation. And if God has brought you from another nation, because if I'm looking in, in this audience, it looks like there's quite a, a few different people from different places. If God has brought us here, I believe that God's brought us here for a purpose, and I'm excited about that. Uh, before I get into the Word, I want to say Pastor Bert and Sheila is uh, personal heroes of mine. Um, my wife has been best friends with their daughter when they when they grew up together. Um, Pastor Bert helped basically start every nation in many ways. Uh, he's been a part of the, the, the building of this whole thing that's now in 85 countries. Um, and so him and Sheila have given their lives to the kingdom of God and has been faithful to help God accomplish what he wants to do through every nation. And I am a benefactor. Uh, how many of you guys have benefited from their faithfulness? Um, you know, so I just want to say, Pastor Bert, thank you so much for your, your loving service to the Lord Jesus. You're a great example. And it's not difficult to, to follow a man that's that given to the, to the glory of God. Uh, and then Richard and Chantel, I know he's a teaching pastor here and a part of the team. They're a wonderful couple. So really appreciate and admire their courage to come all the way. I don't know if you know what Cape Town's like. It's really warm and nice. And it's mountains and there's oceans and, you know, food's way cheaper there. And living is way cheaper there. You know, you can, have, you can live in a much bigger house for the money you live in Toronto, you know. Uh, you know, and they have taken up the call of God to leave South Africa, their motherland and I'm just so impressed by their courage. And I know Tristan and his wife, Margaret, right, um, just came here from, from the Philippines. And, you know, Tristan had an okay job. Margaret had okay jobs in the Philippines, you know. Margaret was only a lawyer there, you know, living a tough life in the Philippines and having to really budget how much food they can eat that month, you know. And, and they came over to Canada because God called them here. Does that get any one of you guys excited, you know, as we leave easy places to go to hard places? Uh, that's what it means to be every nation. That's what God's called us to do. Uh, and that's a big part of my story. This is my family. Um, this, uh, this was taken a few months ago. That's one of the most recent family photos we have. So I'll start with my beautiful wife, Katie Kruger. We've been married 15 years. She's my only wife. Um, I don't know how people did more than one. I am, I'm just barely making it with one and I'm, I'm doing my best. 
you know, and so and she she is very patient with me. So then we have my oldest son. We adopted Omolimo. He's 15. Um, then we have my next day. My, my my second son is Isaiah. He's 12. Then we have Ezekiel. He's 11. Karen, she just turned nine. And then little oddly, she is our six-year-old wave and wind of fire. And those elephants are young elephants in the town I grew up in. So I actually had my 21st birthday on that farm. Um, you know, my brother um, has got lions and stuff on his farm. And so I live a little different life in America than I used to back in, in South Africa. So anyway, it's great being here with you guys. And I'm excited to bring the Word of God with you uh, to you this morning. If you mind, stand with me. I want to read with us. From the Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, and then we're going to read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, so four verses in two chapters in the first book of the Bible, um, and then we're going to go to Genesis 15, we're going to read one verse, Genesis 15, 6, and then we're going to jump to the New Testament to John chapter 5, 44, and some of you guys are saying, Ernie, I haven't read that much Bible in this entire year. Well, good. We're going to read the Word of God today and let it speak to us. Amen? Before I read the Word, we know 2 Timothy chapter 3.16 says, All God's Word, every word has been breathed out by God and is profitable. We understand that this is the Word of the Lord. This is powerful. It can change your life. If you, if you don't want your life changed, just close your eyes and think of something else right now. If you don't want your life being changed, I tell people all the time in America, listen, I'm going to invite you to my church or to my Bible study. But if you want to stay the same, don't come. Because we're going to get into the Word of God and God's Word is going to change us. Because the Word of God is living and it's active. And it cuts through the deepest part of who we are. And it brings the transformation that we need. Amen? All right, so let's read the Word of God. I'm going to read for you. I don't like when we read together. That's weird. Um, so I'm going to read just follow, okay? And I'm going to read from God's preferred version, the ESV. So this is the holiest version. When you read this, there's an extra anointing, an extra grace that comes over your life. Amen? All those NIVers, pray for them. All right, that's a joke. You can read all those versions, okay? All right, so Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they settled there. And they, may, they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and butumen for mortar. And, they, they, and then they said, come, let us, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Let's go to chapter, two, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless, the, uh, bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Lord, I pray today as we look into your word, God, would you let your word look into us? As we examine your scriptures, that's living and active. Let, the, let these scriptures examine our hearts, God. 
And Lord, I pray that we would be transformed today as we leave here. That we would look more like Jesus than we looked before we came in here this morning. Lord, we thank you for who you are. Holy Spirit, I pray even this moment that you would come and just touch our hearts and open our minds to see your word and let your word form us as you please. In Jesus' name, and all God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. Except for if you're South African, you have to keep standing. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It's also the whole of Scripture is set up by the first book of the Bible. So whatever is first is of first importance. So in the book of Genesis, we see God setting up all of Scripture through Moses writing this to us. And here's what we understand. In Genesis chapter 1, God created everything and He said that it is good. God was pleased with creation. Then he looked at Adam and Eve and he said, I have given you all dominion and all power. Rule over the earth as my image bearers, as my ambassadors, as my conduits. God gave Adam and Eve all the authority to govern his creation. And it was pretty awesome. Can you imagine that you had all the authority from God to govern Toronto? I would make rent cheap real quick. I would give all my friends homes and land. I would, then I, if I had the authority from God, there's no rival. I have full authority. Adam and Eve's lives was good. In the afternoon, God comes down and he walks with him. He says, hey, Adam, tell me about your day. What would you do today? Oh, you named the elephant. Um, decided that we want to name it this. And God said, that's really good. He said, well, we did so this. We, we took some of these seeds. We planted it there and we think that's going to be a beautiful garden. And Adam was taking care of God's creation. And it pleased God. It was good. And the enemy comes, the devil, Satan. Some of us think the government's our enemy. <clears throat> or a leader's our enemy. The enemy of man, Satan. He comes, he says, hey, um, you know, this God that you love, what did he say to you? And they say, well, we can eat of every fruit that's in the garden. We can rule over the earth. We have dominion. This is ours. We care for it on him. And every afternoon at the dawn of day, God comes down and he talks with us. And he spends time with us. And we fellowship with him. And we confer and we talk. So imagine at night when it's a nice summer day and a cool breeze sweeps through Toronto. And you're walking with a, an ice cream or a, a nice little iced coffee. And you and your spouse are just dreaming about your life and talking about your day. That's the picture that we get in Genesis of Adam and Eve with God. They have real friendship, real intimacy. They feel deeply connected to their creator. And here comes the devil. This God that told you that you can't eat of all the, the trees in the garden except for this one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that God is holding out on you. So he came against the character of God. He made man question the character of God. Have any of you guys ever questioned in your hearts? Had a thought, what if God's really not good? What if God really does not care about me? What if God really does not see my hardship? What if God really doesn't see the complications of my life? Anyone ever have a thought like that? Let me tell you right now, that is a demonic thought. That is a thought that's not even originating in your own mind. That is how the enemy works. He comes against your mind and makes a case against God. And here's what Adam and Eve did. They said, you know what? Maybe he's right. Maybe there is something that God is not revealing to us. And what happened? 
Adam and Eve did what God said they should not do. They disobeyed God, and then they started defining for themselves, hear me, what is good and what is evil. Is that not what's happening in culture today? Isn't, aren't we trying to redefine right and wrong today? Are we not trying to redefine? Is this not a, a rendition or a, a reincarnation of, or a re, whatever you want to call it, a, re, a, a, a cycle of what happened in the Garden of Eden? Where man starts thinking they can start making decisions about right and wrong as if they are morally objective and not subjective. As, the, as if we have some moral superiority compared to other people and now we get to be the deciders, the judges of right and wrong. And now what happens, they disobey God. Sin enters this world. And all of a sudden we see this decline in humanity. Adam and Eve has, has many children, two of them, Cain and Abel. What happens? What happened? One killed the other out of jealousy. Okay? Then Cain had some sons. One of his sons, Lamech. Lamech starts having multiple wives. Now we see polygamy. And a lot of people in Africa said, hey, I have multiple wives because the Bible said that people had multiple. I said, the Bible says that's bad. That's not good. That was not God's intention. But now he has seven wives, and then we we get to Genesis chapter 11. Now we have Babylon has been formed, and the flood happened. Noah Noah's flood happened. God restarted with the best family on earth at that time. And a couple of generations later, now we are back where we were before the flood. Why? Because evil is not around us. Evil is inside of us. Evil was not killed by water. Evil needs to be killed by the blood of Jesus. We need to be rescued by God Himself from the evil not around us, but inside of us. And here's what happens in, in, in Genesis chapter 11. Man, the Babylonian cry, the mantra of Babylon is, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us build this tower so high. Let's not scatter over all the earth like God told us to go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Let's go against God. Let's stay right here. Build a tower so high that we can reach into the heavens. And Joseph, Flavius Josephus that lived from 335, from 3580 to 180, he was recorded, um, he recorded Nimrod as saying, Nimrod said that we would build this tower so high that we can reach into the heavens that if God ever dares flood this world again, we would avenge ourselves upon God. We will kill God ourselves. Isn't there some people today trying to eradicate God from the world? Does this sound familiar to us? Does this sound like the times that we live in? See, the Babylonian cry or mantra is not something that's ancient. It's alive and well in the hearts of man to this day. Babylonian thinking is, let's do something great for ourselves. Let's make our name great. I'm going to be somebody. I was born and raised in an incredible family in South Africa. Mom and dad was amazing examples. Dad was really good at business. My mom was good at business. Um, I have three brothers. All of us play professional rugby. So we had a pretty successful, quote-unquote, successful family in the eyes of South Africans. My dad was a deacon at our church and really respected in the community. And since I was little, I had this idea. I had this dream. Anyone in here have dreams? My dreams was this. I want to have a car that's sponsored with my name on the side. Because that's what professional rugby players had. 
I want to drive into my town and everybody that knows me needs to stop and turn and look. Oh, that's Ernie Kruger. I wanted to date the most beautiful girl in South Africa. I wanted to have the most beautiful wife in the world, in my world. Not the world, my world. I wanted to have the most beautiful house in my neighborhood. I wanted to get myself a nice yacht, maybe a couple beach homes, lake homes, mountain homes. And I wanted to walk in places and I wanted to be respected. I wanted to be somebody. I wanted to be able to flex my wallet and pay for everyone's meal. I wanted to go to the restaurant that you have to book two weeks in advance. And you pull in and you get out and you put that nice coat on. And you take your scarf off as ever so eloquently. And you walk in, you kind of glide. And then you offer, you don't even care about the price on the menu. I don't care. Give me the most expensive, everything. I didn't want anybody to tell me what to do with my life. I wanted to be great. I wanted to be successful. But you know what? I would sometimes want to feed the homeless too, so I look good. I would sometimes, when I do an interview on TV, say, I just want to give God the glory because I'm a Christian. I would sometimes go to church and maybe even give some of my pocket change to the Lord. But you know what I wanted? I wanted to be great. Babylon is something that's inside of every one of us. That's what sin has done to us. We no longer want God to be great in our eyes. We want to compete with the great God that's truly great. We want to start becoming glory thieves. We want to steal the glory of God. When we walk into rooms, we don't, we don't want people to see God. We want them to see us and respect us. Do you know I can squat 700 pounds, bro? Do you know I can bench 400 pounds? My, I can't. My youngest brother can, though. Do you know I can run a 440? Do you know that I have all this money in the bank? Do you know that I had dinner with Nelson Mandela? Like, like you, you start thinking about all these things. I'm, I'm somebody. I'm somebody. And if I don't get it, I get mad. I get frustrated. I start bad-mouthing other people. And that was the cycle in my life. Anyone relate with any of this? Maybe on different levels and different scales. We have a deadly poison inside of us. It kills us. It kills our relationship with God. We become glory thieves. That's the cry of Babylon. One chapter over, Genesis chapter 11, that's the cry of Babylon. Let's make ourselves great. Let's be great. One chapter over, God comes to a man named Abraham and he says, if you would trust me, I will make you great. Are you all hearing what I'm saying? God comes, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He who spoke everything into existence. The speed of light came out of his mouth. Everything that we have is because he is. It all had his beginning in him. He preceded all of creation. He who is truly great comes to this man that's infected by this Babylonian cry. He says, hey, buddy, if you trust me, I'll make you great. And I'll bless the nations through you. And I'll curse those that curse you and bless those that bless you. And there's something what we call the Abrahamic covenant that God forms with a man 
that was unworthy. Abraham was no better than anyone in his culture. People think Abraham was a good guy. Well, Abraham must have been someone really special. He probably built orphanages back in the day. He probably had a homeless ministry back in the day. He probably had a food bank. No, Abraham gave his wife up two times for other men to sleep with her. Abraham was not a good guy. He was a bad dude. He was just as debased in his mind as everyone else in his culture. God chose Abraham. We don't earn salvation. We don't achieve salvation. We receive the grace of God. God's not a respecter of man. God just came to Abraham and Sarah and said, if you would trust me. In Genesis chapter 15, let's go there real quick. Here's what happened. Here's, here's Abraham's response. It says, and Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want to talk to you today about what does it mean to believe God? We are a people that's called to believe God. Now, James chapter 2.19 says, Hey, listen, you say, verse 18 to 19, let me read this for you so you don't think I'm lying to you. <clears throat> I don't want to, I don't want you to think oh, he's making this South African makes stuff up. No, I'm not making this up. This is true. Okay. James chapter 2, verse 18 to 19. Listen to this. But some will say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And then he says this in verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe and they shudder. He says, you're so proud that you believe, I believe in God. I'm, I'm a Christian, I believe in God. He says, even demons can say they believe. I'm not talking about acknowledging that God is real and God exists. I'm talking about laying down your life and following the call of God on your life. Abraham believed God and he left. He left his comfort zone. He was 75 years old approximately, maybe slightly older. He left everything that his mom and dad worked really hard for. He left everything that he built and he took a major risk. There was no life insurance back then. Are you hearing what I'm saying? There was no business insurance. There was no cattle, livestock insurance. My dad has 60 cows. He insures them. If something catastrophic happens, he gets paid by insurance. There's no insurance. God spoke to Abraham and he said, God, I believe you. I believe I met the living God. And Abraham left his land and he went to a land not knowing where he was going. But he believed God. How many of you guys feel like that? I don't know where I'm going, but I believe God. I'm not sure where this is going, but I believe God. And God called me out of my country. God called me out of my family. God called me out of my sin. And I'm believing God. Abraham believed God. Do you believe God today? Or do you just acknowledge that there is a God? You see, that's not hard. Demons acknowledge that there is a God. And they shake and they shudder. We don't get any credit for believing that there is a God. We get credit. It gets counted to us as righteousness when we believe God. We put our faith in Him. Oh, yes, Lord. But believing in God means you've got to stop believing in you. John chapter 5. I'm warning you, it's going to hurt you in a good way. Let's go to John chapter 5, 44. It says, how can you believe? When you receive glory from one another, and do not seek the glory that comes from only God. 
Jesus is talking to religious people. He's talking to people that all claim to believe. Earlier in that chapter, he says, you search the scriptures, you read the Bible, and you think that just because you read the Bible, you have eternal life. Because you open the Bible. Some of you guys just have the Bible on your bedside. And you think, well, it's going to be some osmosis. It's just, eternal life is going to come to me by osmosis. It's going to transfer to me. Like I used to do that in school. I would, I would sleep on my math book thinking that I'm going to wake up the next morning a little bit more smart and remembering equations. And it never worked. Never worked. That's always like, man, I still have to do, I have to open this and work through this. He says, you cannot believe in God. Why? Because you seek the glory that comes from man, not the glory that comes from God. You start your life. You've been conditioned to make a name for yourself. You've been conditioned to make a name for your family. You've been conditioned to be popular and be a respected person in your community. You've been conditioned to love yourself more than your neighbor. You've been conditioned by sin to serve self, not one another. That's what sin has done to us. And if you think that you can just make yourself a little better, you are no better than an unbeliever. Because Jesus didn't come to make people better. He came to make people new. Sinners don't make themselves better sinners. I just want to sin less. And that's what I did. I grew up this way. I thought, man, I, I, on Thursday I stopped cussing because I wanted God to bless me on Saturday when I played rugby. So my friends knew on Thursday, you don't cuss around Ernie. Friday, if you cuss around him, he'll slap you. Saturday, he's the holiest man on earth until that game, the final whistle blew and then the party is on. Then I go back to crazy Babylonian Ernie. And then Sunday morning, I sit in church because my mom and dad forced me to go. And I feel bad about all the, the decisions I made the night before. And then the pastor says, every, every eye closed and every head bowed. And I make sure my mom and dad's eyes are closed and their heads are bowed. And he says, if you want to get saved, put up your hand. And I would just do it quick. I don't want to go to hell. There was nothing in me willing to follow Jesus. I believed in God. I had a Bible. I even sometimes led Bible studies. But I was dead in my sin. And I thought that Christianity was just being a little better. Working a little harder. And you know, the truth is, is I was a better person than most of my friends. I had a better moral life than most of my friends until I went to college. My freshman year in Pachestrum, South Africa. Big rugby player. <clears throat> my roommate and my teammate's an atheist. I'd never met one before. Didn't know that they exist. Where I am from, everybody believes. If you're an atheist, you've got to move. Everyone's a Christian, but everyone, when I say Christian, it's not real Christianity. And I looked at him, I said, Mikey, I said, you, are you telling me you cannot, you don't believe that there's a God, there's nothing? And he looks at me, he says, Ernie, why are you so concerned about me believing in God? I'm a much better person than you are. And I thought, ah, oh, you might be right. And Mike never cheated on his girlfriend, ever. He married the girl. Mike, Mike was really loyal. If he told his mom and dad he was doing something, he's going to do it. Mike was a really good atheist. And I was a really, really confused Christian. And I remember when my atheist roommate convicted me of my sin and pointed out to me that I claim a God that I'm not willing to follow. This is not in my notes, but 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a warning <clears throat> that Paul gave to the church. He says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, 
proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, listen, the appearance of godliness, but what? Denying its power. I had the appearance of godliness. I went to church and I dressed real nice because my mom made me. I knew how to shake hands and look people in the eye. I was respected by people in my community. Moms would call my mother to know if I'm going to a party because they wouldn't let their sons go to the party because Ernie was the model child, not knowing that Ernie was arranging all the alcohol to be there. See, I had the whole world confused and it worked for me until my atheist roommate made me realize that he lives a better moral life than I did and I'm claiming a God that I don't actually am willing to follow. And I started being troubled by that conversation. I went to Stellenbosch University the next year to go play rugby there. And there I was introduced to every nation campus on the university campus. And so a friend of mine invited me to come with him. And that morning I said, God, if you still see me, just let me know. I am a hypocrite. I am a sycophant. I am the most selfish man that I know. And I started feeling the woe and the pain of my own sin. Because see, up until this time, I was very aware of your sin, other people's sin. But I was never aware of my own. But in that moment, God convicted me of my sin. I said, God, if you would even look at me a second time, just let me know. Because I can't imagine that you would give me a second look. I've done too much. I've gone too far. I've lied too much. I've sinned too much. The moment those words came out of my mouth and I finished that sentence, a friend texted me, Saul Potgitter. We just had dinner with him last night. I listened to one time. He said, come to church with us tonight. I show up that night. And for the first time in my life, I encountered the living God, the true Jesus. Not the Jesus I made up in my mind. Not the Jesus I manufactured and crafted for myself that's okay with me being in charge. The same God that called Abraham and said, if you would believe me, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And that night, the pastor preached. I didn't, I can't even remember what he preached. But that night, it's as if this hand from heaven reached through all my stuff and touched my heart. And that night, my heart changed. See, the gospel is not behavior modification. It's not telling people to be better. That is cruel. Hey, sinless. Hey, read your Bible more. No, 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 no. Surrender your life to Jesus. Make God the ruler in your heart and follow him wherever he will lead you. And if you're not there, then you cannot walk with him and be his child. Because to be a child of God means to be in relationship with a God that rules over the earth, which means you got to get out of your relationship with your own rulership. And that night I said, God, I don't know what it would look like to follow you. I don't know what it would cost me, but I'm willing to lose everything. But I do not want to walk away from you one more time. I gave my life to Jesus that night and I walked forward at the end when the guy did an altar call. He said, if you want to be a leader for Jesus, come forward. I did not want to be a leader. I didn't see myself as a leader. I needed to be led. But I wanted Jesus. And I started walking forward. And as I walked forward, he points to me as I'm coming forward. There's about 500 students in this room. He points to me in the crowd. As I'm walking forward, no, this has never happened to me. He says, you are going to work for God someday. And I just started weeping. And I feel this love that I've never felt. This electricity, this power, I have never felt 
just flood my soul. And I'm amazed and perplexed. I'm amazed and embarrassed because I'm just crying in this snot and tears on my shirt. And I'm like, this is really embarrassing. I've never in my life gone forward in the church, ever. And as I walked forward, I felt something change. And I left that room not the same. Jesus changed my heart. See, the gospel is the power of God that brings us to salvation. Paul said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is God's power. And it brings us to a place of salvation. And the moment we get to this place where we say, God, I don't have the power or the authority to save myself. I'm a sinful man or a sinful woman. And women have a little bit more sin than men, but I'm a sinful man. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. That's a joke. I'm sinful in the eyes of God. I'm not right in the eyes of God. And it doesn't matter how hard I try. I can never get myself there. That's when we look to a Savior. That's when we look to Jesus. God who became a man. God who lived the perfect life for us on our behalf. Who died the death by crucifixion. Taking the punishment of God upon himself. And offering salvation to anyone who's willing to acknowledge and believe that they have sinned against the holy God. And that only God can pay their debt. And he'll give them salvation in exchange for their sin. But if you hold on to your sinful heart acting like it's good, you'll never receive that. And you will have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. There's power in Jesus. I lived there that night. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't pray. I didn't have a prayer life. I lived there that night a new man. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Anyone that's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. I left there, so I went back to my girlfriend. She was addicted to cocaine. To stay skinny, she was a model, so that's how they stayed, how she stayed skinny. And one night I saw a demon in her. So I said, okay, listen, something happened tonight. I don't want to have sex with you anymore. I want to start going to church. I, I want to stop drinking. And she looked at me. She's like, what? I said, I don't know what happened, but something happened in my heart. And I get nauseous even thinking about these things. She said, okay, I'll come to church with you. She didn't come for very long, and, and, and we ended that relationship. That was not a good relationship. I had to get out of that relationship. But the moment I tried to go back to my old life, I started feeling nauseous on the inside. Why? Because God's power was not working inside of me. Before, I loved sin. Now, I couldn't stomach sin. It was like poison to my, bo- my body. It was like, oh, what was that? And so my, my friends came to me and they said, Ernie, what's wrong with you? You don't laugh at our jokes anymore. You don't want to drink anymore. We buy shots at the bar and you just drink Red Bulls all night. You don't drink any more alcohol. What's wrong with you? I said, I don't know, man. It's Jesus. I don't know. I, I, I didn't even know what was happening to my life. A couple weeks later, I'm so confused. My friends are now mad at me. They're leaving me. I don't know what's going on. I just don't want to sin anymore. I'm now, I'm done with my girlfriend. We, we, that's over. And I see this guy that prophesied over me that I'm going to work for Jesus one day in the stands at a rugby stadium. There's a couple thousand people. I see him. I'm like, I didn't even know. I was so clueless. I didn't even know where to go find this guy. I see him. I start climbing over people. I'm like, hey, hey. I said, you told me I was going to work for God. I said, you know, something happened that night. My heart changed. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? He said, I'll help you. We started doing the purple book. We started. Uh, he started laying biblical foundations in my life. He laid hands on me to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
I started going to church and serving and becoming a part. God started changing my character and changing my life. I was going from glory to glory. Then he laid hands on me and said, you're going to receive some gifts. And nothing happened. But three weeks later, I was by myself praying on the side of my bed. And the Lord said, remember when that guy put his hands on you? You received some gifts. Now stand up and pray in the spiritual language. I said, God, I don't do stuff like that. I don't mess with, I don't mess with demons or with that language and stuff. The Lord said, trust me. I started praying in the spirit all of a sudden in this new language. Man, I left my room. It was like electricity was in my body. And every, every person that I saw that was sick or lost or didn't know Jesus, I said, hey, can I pray for you? I prayed for them and miracles would happen. This one guy from Romania, he's seven foot tall. He says, oh, I do believe in your God. I said, that's okay. But you have an injury. I had a neck injury, a rugby player. I said, if I pray for your neck and my God touches your neck, you have to talk to me about my God. He said, okay. I said, no, listen, if it doesn't work, you can't eat me afterwards. Because you're a big dude. So I prayed for him. I said, Lord. I said, touch this man's neck, Lord. I mean, I couldn't reach it. I was like trying to touch it, you know. As I'm praying for him, he gets drunk in the Holy Spirit. He starts like, like doing this. It's like that big tower in Toronto. It's like, imagine that thing is swerving. I'm like, how do we catch this guy? He's going to kill people when he comes down. And right before him, we prayed from guys from Tonga, rugby players that got miraculously healed. They felt the presence of God. And this Romanian atheist, he says, oh, oh, what is this? What is going on? He looks at these Tongan guys. He says, oh, you feel this thing. You feel this thing. They say, we felt that thing. I said, that's not a thing. That's the Holy Spirit. That's my God. He's touching you. And we started baptizing these guys. We would, we got the biggest bath that we could find in, in their city. We baptized their first part first and then the second part later. Now we have a church in Paris. God started something. Listen, my first mission trip, I told my pastors, God told me to go to Paris. We're going to start a revival. God's going to do these miracles. They said, only, and he said, I said, I said, you don't know what you're doing. You don't understand. No one in France cares about God. It's the missionary's grave we are. There's less than 1% Christians there. I said, listen, I don't know if all that's true, but here's what I'm telling you. Every time I pray, God says, go to France. I'm going to take that nation. I'm going to use rugby. I'm going to use influence. And I said, tell God to stop talking to me. It's driving me crazy. I want to believe you. But every time I pray, God says to go. So finally, they, they, they got tired of me. They said, okay, pray for a sign. I said, okay, that's a good idea. I said, Lord, give us a sign that will convince everybody. The next day, my pastor comes to me and says, man, listen, we got a large missions offering. And God told us to give some of this to France. So we want you, we want to go test this word. I said, great. I needed more money because I needed people to come with me that knows what they're doing. Because I had no clue what I'm doing. I've never been on a mission trip. So... I called three names God showed me. The moment I called them, they said, God told us to give you money this morning. What do you need money for? I said, I need the money for this. We had more money than we needed to go on this mission trip. And that birthed a church. What would happen when we believe God? Abraham just believed God. Not the belief that the demons believe. Not acknowledgement. He said, God, I believe you. I'm going to follow you. It doesn't matter what it costs me. If it costs me my family. If it costs me my life. God, I will follow you. You are worthy to be trusted. And when we put that type of trust in the eternal God, we start seeing that type of life in our lives. God does not want us to have the appearance of godliness. He wants the power of Jesus, the same power that raised Christ from the dead to live inside of us. That's who we are. When I moved to America, people said, Ernie, people here are more atheists. They, they don't care much, that much about Jesus. 
And I started meeting atheist after atheist after atheist. I only met one in South Africa. It was my roommate, Mike. He's now a Christian. And so I started meeting atheist after atheist after atheist. I started weeping. I said, God, how can people be so atheist? How can they not believe in you? It broke my heart. I said, I would weep. I couldn't believe it. Because here I, I hear God's voice every day. I know him. And these people deny that my God lives. The same God that's changed my whole life. That healed my back. I've seen so many miracles. I can't even count them. I said, they don't believe in my God? I went on staff there. 800 people got saved in one year. In a city that they said, oh, it's, you, you're going to meet more atheists. So I started seeing people come to know Jesus that I never thought would get saved. I'll end with this story. Let's stand together. <clears throat> a few years ago, maybe maybe two years ago, I was flying to Nashville from West Texas. So I preached a Sunday morning. I got on the plane. The moment I got off the plane, I got an Uber to go preach at a university campus. The next, the next day, the Monday through the Thursday, I spoke seven times in four days. That's a lot of speaking engagement, right? Y'all can get on the keys for me. That's okay. As I get off the stage to preach, we have a big church. We have 3,000 people in our church. We have a big church. I preach. I get on this plane. And before I go, there's this old lady, Connie. She grabs my hand. She says, Lord, I pray that Ernie will have divine encounters on the plane. I said, Connie, 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 don't, don't, pray for, don't pray for that. I said, pray that no one will talk to me because I've got to focus. I have to preach a lot of messages this week. I have no time to talk to people. And so she says, no, I, Lord, I pray that he would have divine encounters on this plane. I'm like, okay, thank you, Connie. I wasn't really thankful. I get on this plane and I open my Bible. I go through my notes. I kind of look at my week. I go through everything I was going to speak on that week. And I close my Bible. And I close my eyes and I lean back because I'm tired. I've, I've worked hard. I've run hard. And I'm now about to speak a lot. And I'm getting off this plane to go preach. And I lean back and the Holy Spirit says to me, Ernie, the guy next to you is an atheist. And I want you to tell him this and this and this and this and this. And I'm like, Lord, I've been I've prophesied before, but I'm not a prophet. That's like a prophet's job. That's not my job. And the Lord said, Ernie, I'm not joking. I need you to talk to this guy. So I look at this guy, and he's from California, lives in Seattle. And, you know, people from California and Seattle, they have this look like I don't really want to talk about God, period. They're not from the South. And I said, listen, man, this is going to sound really strange to you. I said, but sometimes God speaks to me. And I know you're an atheist. And he's like, how do you know? I said, well, God told me you are. We haven't spoken a word. He says, I said, um, and I felt like the Lord wants me to tell you this and this and this. And he looks at me. And he says, that's crazy that you can know these things. I said, I don't know that. My God knows you. And I told him this big prophetic word God gave me. I got off the plane. It was as if I had a leash on him. And I thought he's going to get in my Uber with me. And he, before I got in my Uber, he said, man, listen, I hope everything you said is true. And by the grace of God, everything I said come to pass in his life. It's a real miracle that happened. There's not a person on this earth that God cannot reach. There's not a person on this earth that God doesn't want to reach. Where are you at today? Do you believe God? Do you walk in the power of God? Or are you just having the appearance of godliness, but you deny the true power of who Christ really is? If you want to really surrender your life to Jesus, that's okay. Would you just put your hand up and say, I don't want to have the appearance 
I want to have the power of Jesus in my life. Put your hand up real high. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want, I want to believe God. And I want to see the kingdom of God come through my life and work through my life. That is your inheritance. That's why we are here. That's why God built the church. It's so that His power can live in His people. If you really mean that, I want you to pray this prayer with me and then Pastor Richard will close this out. Just cry this prayer out. Say, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I declare that this day I will serve you. I will trust you. I will follow you all the days of my life. I don't care what it will cost me. I surrender everything to you. My whole life, you gave your life to me. So now I give my life to you. And Lord, I trust in Jesus. He is the one mediator between me and you. And I put all my confidence, all my hope in Him alone. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org. 